Welcome into another edition of Football 52 and all things UNC football podcast here. My name is Brady Hull, as always, joined by the one and only head football coach, Ed Lamb. Coach, hey, it was great seeing you for a brief second at the basketball game the other night. Unfortunately, the Bears couldn't get it done against Eastern Washington, but that was a pretty good basketball game. Great basketball game. Uh, I, I love the way that Coach Smiley's teams play. Uh, there's so much effort. I think it's really good for our football team to be there. We had about 50 guys all sitting together, maybe some more scattered a- around. But uh, you know, I, I think they're they're learning something about uh, the competitiveness of our basketball team, and I think that translates into football. I think a rising tide raises all ships, and it's re- been really good to see our our basketball team late in the season playing at home for a first place in the conference. It was one of the biggest games that I remember um, as far as a regular season game for UNC. Obviously, you go back to the 2010-11 year, weird stuff happened there. But outside of that, the Bears have had some big games. They've been in deep uh, the Big Sky Conference Tournament Championship before. But as far as regular season game goes, that was pretty high up there as far as one of the big ones. And it was nice to see pretty good crowd out there, too. And that I guess that kind of shows you, too. You get excitement around your program, and I know Coach Smiley has done a great job of that. You mix that in with wins and such, then uh, you, you make for a pretty exciting environment. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the the conference uh, chase is what appeals really yeah, to, to football absolutely. players more. You know, it's, it, basketball has the, really two seasons. I mean, you know, the tournament is completely separate, and, and the season just completely restarts. Uh, you know, it's not it's not even like that. In even in FCS football, where we have playoffs, it's uh, you know that you don't have much of a realistic chance in football without uh, being a seed. If you don't win that conference championship, it's pretty difficult at that point. Um, you know to to advance at, at least at the rate they do in basketball. There's always great stories in in football, but uh, for the most part, getting that seed, playing at home in football, is a, just a huge advantage. That's why basketball is just so crazy to me, especially when you look at where UNC is with the Big Sky. You could be the best team in the conference. You could be one of the worst teams in the conference throughout the course of the season. But if you start to get hot, maybe you had an injured player for 80% of the year, they come back. It's all about what you do in the tournament. And that's that's exciting for basketball fans. But for me, I like the importance of the regular season, too. And I again, you look at college football, regular season, uh, NFL football, regular season. It's always so so critical, and that's what I do love about the football landscape um, compared to the basketball side of things. Yeah, and, and, and I think in college football in particular, there's just there's more disparity within conferences, and and the big guys are really it's the best conference in FCS football, but there's a. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of disparity. Teams ranked in the top five in the country, and then teams ranked in the mm-hmm. in the bottom twenty five of the country. And you know, our, our one thing about Big Sky basketball is it's just very competitive. There's a lot of parity in the conference. You see the the bottom teams all the time playing. You know, right there or beating the top teams. And it's also just part of basketball. It's what makes basketball fun. You know, just th- those games. The momentum of a basketball game flips so quickly. How what do you have a good relationship with a lot of coaches um, at UNC outside? of football such as Steve Smiley? Um, I do. I, I feel like I do, you know, considering the time I've been there, just one year now. And of yeah. course, we're all really busy. Um, but we have a, a couple of cool uh, dynamics at, at UNC. Um, most of our sports are housed in the same building and on the same floor. And so we, we just have a lot of interaction just seeing each other in the hallways. Um, Lindsay Oates, the volleyball coach, 
is a, is a tremendous leader of not just her team, but all of the coaching staff in general. She sits on our senior administrative staff, and so she has a, a voice um, in those circles and helps kind of lead the, the entire department. But she also takes the initiative. She, we, she has a uh, kind of hosts a head coaches meeting each mm. month. And, um, you know, we, everybody's talking, but she's the one, at least as I understand it, that takes the initiative. And I know she's the one that's reaching out and communicating. And at times she'll bring in guests just to help us out. And we just talk about the challenges, the breakthroughs, the setbacks that we're going through as a program. Really helpful to get to know the other coaches and to learn from them. That's really interesting because I, I always pictured that growing up thinking, well, if you're coaching for a program, football, basketball, whatever, you guys are all just best friends. But as I've learned about schedules the last 20 years of my life, especially getting into sports radio, it's almost impossible to do that unless you have someone just organize a time to get everybody together. So I think that's important, too, because you, you guys can each stress the importance of supporting each other, uh, getting your players out when you can to games and things like that. So I know that's a big deal. So I kind of like hearing that... Um, you at least have somewhat of a relationship where you are getting together, picking each other's brains, talking about some of the good things you're doing, some of the struggles too. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Uh, yet at uh, at at BYU, for example, the football facility is completely separate from every other sport, and so I mean, it, it uh, to to walk to the basketball facility would would take. 12, 15 minutes from, from the football facility. And all of, I mean, really all of the sports are separate uh, to one degree or another. And that, that building in football is completely isolated. So it's a great feeling to be around what we would consider our peers. Like these are coaches too. They're working on a lot of the same challenges and uh, to hear their stories and what they're working through is just really educational. This is going to be an interesting conversation today, Coach. Last week we talked about you finalizing your coaching staff. We couldn't get into the details of some of those guys just yet. Today we can. You filled that position, that wide receiver coach, and I know that's a big one. Obviously that's a big one. Um, but let's talk about uh, your new wide receivers coach a bit. Yes, Mike Regal, uh, former head coach at uh, Simon Fraser University, and um I first got to know Mike as a player. I was uh, on the the staff at at BYU during Gary Croton's first year there, and and Mike was a, a running back slot receiver on our team, and a really good player. And and you know probably more than that in terms of our relationship now, he was a really good leader for us. He's just uh, uh, somebody who uh, cared about his business and went about his um, work ethic and his relationship with his, with his teammates. Just I thought there were a lot of character strengths in Mike. And I didn't work um, tremendously close with him at that time. Um, I was a a lower-level assistant on the defensive side of the ball. Mike was a player on the offensive side of the ball. So we didn't have a a close personal relationship. But, of course, coaching is a small world. And as he went out and and got into coaching, um, I would see him at conventions and camps and clinics and always had a lot of respect for the way that he carried himself and the things that he was doing. And then you know his his uh, last job, one of many stops on his resume, was the the head coach at Simon Fraser University. That's a um, football program up in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, trying to compete in American football. And so there there are um, there's a small number of Canadian universities that compete in Canadian football, and it's a, you know it's twelve men on the field. It's a different size field, different rules, and all that. But this was the the only, at least that I'm aware of, the only university that had uh, attempted to sponsor an NCAA um, wow. football program. That's, in, that's interesting. Yeah. And so they were traveling you know, across the border. Uh, they had a tough time getting games at their place. Um, they were you know, doing it with less resources than the schools that they were competing against. And um, I think in a lot of ways, just a lot that, that 
I can learn from Mike. I think he can relate to a lot of the challenges that that we have here at UNC uh, because he's been trying to do more with less, and that's basically our task here. When you talk about a program like that with the hurdles you got to get over, then what? A couple of four years ago, we were in the COVID pandemic. A situation like that could absolutely not just cripple a program, but ultimately set up the end of times for a program like that, which is just out of your control. So you talk about all the struggles, you pair in an, a, a pandemic like that. Yikes, look out. But that is that's what's going to be so interesting. And that's why this this move, coach, is so fascinating. This is a guy that's been through things that a lot of coaches have no idea about trying to get this program on the right on the on the right uh, in the right step but you're in Canada and hoping to compete with American college football teams I mean you talk about hurdles there you go absolutely even to the, even the recruiting I mean you could just think of of all of the the myriad of 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 tasks that we have as a head football coach or trying to run a, a football program or really any sports program you've got recruiting you've got training you've got travel you've got uh, the, the logistics of just going about the daily business. Um, he's looked at all those through a, through a very specific lens and a lot of carryover, crossover with, with what we are doing at UNC. So I, I'm really looking forward to having him um, on the staff. I think he's going to do a great job um, as, a, as a position coach as well. When a guy's been a head football coach, I think he understands what he would be looking for in an assistant. The times to take initiative, the times to, to step in line, uh, that's an art form. And um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing him navigate that. You have to feel like when you bring in – because a lot of times you bring in guys that are position coaches elsewhere or they're moving up. They're the assistant to the position, go whatever that might look like. Um, but you bring in a guy like this who was a head coach. And I don't care about the level that you were a head coach in, but a head coach – clearly has to have some of that a lot of those good things you're looking for that leadership quality but knowing how to balance knowing how to juggle and and get into that kind of thing so for you uh it's got to be kind of one of those it's a plus because you got a great guy a guy that you've had a history with but also a guy that might be able to really see things from your lens and your your line of thinking too when he's been at the top regardless of of where that program status is but that's got to be a big plus too the first head coach I worked for, Mike Maynard at, at the University of Redlands, um, he, he was a real pro. I, th- I think he's still the all-time winningest college football coach in California, um, just at all wow. levels. If you, if you, just the, the tenure that he had there, the success that he had there. And, uh, I mean, and more than that, he was just a, a true uh, professional. Um, and he um, – he would always say to us uh, assistants, and I, you know, I was in my first job, and so everything he said was that was my only introduction to coaching. That was the real, in terms of the real life of coaching. I thought I knew what coaching was when I decided to get into it. I didn't. He taught me what coaching was. He would always say to us, the number one thing an assistant can bring is a motivated position group, and then and then you can look, we can really peer into that statement. Okay, well, uh, if I'm going to bring a motivated position group, obviously they've got to be motivated, but they also have to be present. They have to be on time. They have to be academically eligible. I've got a recruiting piece in this, and it just goes all the way down through all of the all of the challenges of a football program when you talk about as a position coach to bring a, a motivated position group. And I know that uh, Mike will be an expert at that. Well, and that's where it starts, right? When you're a position coach, I mean, you're you're thinking obviously for the good of the team, what can I do? But you're thinking I got to get this position. I got to get these guys. Um, mentally and physically ready to go every single week because not only is that going to help the program ultimately, but 
That's gonna. That's when guys become head coaches. That's when they become coordinators next. Is because wow, what you did with those receivers. Maybe we didn't know a lot of them. Maybe you got the best out of a really good prospect. But being able to do all of those things, that's what sets you up. So when you say a motivated positions coach, um, that makes perfect sense because you want a guy that's that's in there a hundred percent about how do I grow this group? How do I build the program? But how do I how do I better my resume too? Yeah, it's one of the things you just said is just that that week to week, and that's really the key. I think, I think most coaches and, and probably fans, people can relate to. Okay, we, we, so you got to go and recruit good players. You got to keep them eligible. You got to give them some study hall for those that need it. You got to get them some tutors, uh, work them out in the off season, have them buy into the team culture. Okay, now what's the week to week like in the season? This is where the challenge really begins because, let's say for example, just sticking with receivers, let's say the team wins a game and uh, primarily ran the ball in clutch situations. And now the receivers are wondering, okay, mm. what, what is my role? Like there, there are no good receivers that don't want the ball all the time. Like that's, that's how receivers operate. And just keeping that in check, that ego in check, is a big part of, the, of being a receiver and especially being a receiver's coach, right? You want that as the head coach. You want that as the position coach. You want every guy in that room to say, game on the line, you have to throw the ball to me to win. Okay, well, now you just win and it won and it didn't happen. And then, and then the next week, maybe you lose and you did target the receivers, right? Or you did target a receiver and, and, it, and didn't deliver for whatever reason, right? So the, the challenge just can completely flips almost every week. Even if you're doing nothing but winning and the receiver, you're the, you're the number one passing offense in the country, now it becomes about numbers of targets and the receivers are all kind of bickering at each other. It's, it's a very individual uh, position group by necessity. There's some there's some individual um, ego dynamics at play that make those players stronger at that position. But to to get them on the same page is so key to the success of the overall team. Coach, I have kind of a two parter here because I want to go back to what you said when receivers maybe they need help uh, in the classroom, they need help in this area, whatever. Who they're going to, who's dealing with that. I want to get into that. But how much of that you got? Let's say you get a you get a stud receiver. You know he's a stud. And you, you, you don't know how he's going to react if he doesn't get the ball. Maybe he was only targeted twice. He ends up with one reception. You win the game. Does the coach come to you, receiver coach? So in this case, next year, Mike Rigel, will he come to you and say, Coach, hey, love you, man. We're great. We're doing awesome. Big win. Um, but receiver X, he's our guy. We don't, we don't want him to get frustrated here. Can we incorporate, let's get something going early in the game. How often does that kind of thing happen where a receiver's coach comes to you almost on behalf of that frustrated wide receiver? Yeah, really, really good. Uh, yeah, I, I think the receiver's coach typically would, would be start that conversation more with the offensive coordinator. Okay, okay. But as the head coach, you know, I, one, of the, one of the things that I'm looking at that the other coaches aren't necessarily paying attention to is, okay, overall, uh, transcending the position groups, who are our leaders? Who are the guys that we do need to feature? And that, and as a head coach, I try to keep it, especially once the program is is rolling. You know, when we're when we get to the point that we're winning at UNC, I'm more and more of the percentage of my time is going to be on technique and personnel, and less and less on the strategy of what we're doing. You know, whether we're running a 
uh, quarterback-centric drop-back pass offense versus a quarterback-centric run offense or a fullback-based offense, like all of that stuff. Yeah, that's that can be important early in the tenure of a head coach just to establish, okay, okay, who are our best players? What are our coaches good at? What is our background? What does the league look like? What does the national level of competition look like? What's What are the trends right now in college football? But eventually, as the head coach, you know, my – my highest potential is just picking out personnel and technique. And so it's re- very common, I think, for a head coach to come into the offensive room and, and ask the coordinator, okay, we need to feature this guy more. I'd like to see him get the ball more. Yeah, I think, and I think that that's that line you got to walk to because you're, as a, as a, as a position coach, you're, you're, you're speaking on behalf of your guys. You got to bring that, but you also have to understand the coordinator saying, "Hey, maybe that's not in the game plan next week." You know, we're looking at that defensive line, and there's a lot of holes there. We're going to really implement that run game right off the bat. So, the idea of, "Hey, we want to get just a couple of short passes to get this guy involved." That's not how we're starting this football game. Then the receiver coach has to go back to those guys and say, "This is the way we're." I just think that that's fast. that's why we talk about coaches being CEOs out there too, because there's position groups that are trying to motivate, but also have to go back and say, "I don't have the best of news for you right now, but we'll hope to get some good news for you down the road." Sure, yeah, and that's where a lot of the coach Shanahan for the Forty ers the, the the no block, no rock thing came mm. up. That's that was a that was a way. Of, of getting the receivers to be motivated to do what the team needed to do first, right? Because you've got a great running back in Chris McCaffrey. You've got a great offensive line there. You've got a, a younger quarterback who probably needed to be a little bit more of a game manager, at least through some parts of the season. And sure, those, those receivers for the 49ers are outstanding, right? Like you can see it when they actually get the ball. But can you carry that team uh, you know, in the pass game, being a pass-first oriented offense? Not really the personality of that team. And so... Okay, well, hey, you want that? You want those targets? First thing we want to see you do is block out there on the perimeter. How much of a how much of a, a you know a beginning point here when you sit down with Coach Mike Regal and say, hey, that's a, obviously that's our first our first plan here is we're going to say you got to block. You have to be able to do the little things, the big things, because we want to see that first. You might be the best receiver in the history of the world, but we want to see you be that team first guy. How much of an emphasis do you have to put on that right now? Well, that's a, that's one of the things I'm excited about with Mike. Is he, you know, he's seen the game now from the whole perspective. He's he's he knows that you have to be at least somewhat balanced, right? Even if even if your goal is to to be, play it like Mike Leach, right? And just you're going to pass the ball, uh, you know, eighty ninety percent of the time. Some of Mike Leach's hugest wins over the years were when the defense came prepared and said, we're taking away the pass game. We're dropping eight. And boom, he starts running the football, mm. right? And then it's like, so it's not it's not what they lead with, but that counterpunch can be the thing that wins you the game. You know, Mike Regal's seen all that from a head coaching standpoint. Okay, what's our current team? Who's the defense that we're facing? How do we win this quarter? How do we win this game? How do we win during the season? And how do I keep my guys motivated all the way through? Yeah, well, and speaking about motivation you know out off the field to kind of that two-parter here with with Mike Regal how much is he responsible for with the receivers off the field when a receiver you know a certain receivers maybe they're struggling with class maybe they've got something else going on Uh, and we you and I've talked so much just in these last few episodes about you know you being there for these guys having that open door policy kind of deal 
But how much of that do they look to their receiver coach and say, hey, I'm struggling here. And then he's got to be the guy. Mike Regel's got to be the guy to organize that, make sure they're getting the proper help that they need, whether that's in the classroom or whatever. You said the correct word. It's it's organization. And I, I think some of the position coaches, I mean, they see me, our players now after one year, they know how everybody's looking at the head coach, right, in, in terms of, okay, well, what's what's he like and then how do I fit around that, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm the guy that, you know, um, you know, you come around the a player comes around the corner and like boom, I'm a goblin. I'm right there. Hey, you lost four pounds this week. What's going on? You okay? You know, like <laughs> they're they're they probably want to see a lot more um, just like like personality and friendship coming out of me. I'm really business oriented. I have to actually invite them. Hey, you step into my office and it's it's personal. We don't need to talk about football. You come to my house. You know, let's get on the horses and let's let's just talk. Let's just talk about life. Like a lot of our guys are starting to learn that about me. That if they initiate the conversation, that I can be personal and and I enjoy getting to know them personally. But if it's just like, hey, we see each other in the facility, I'm right into, hey, your you know your grades are slipping. You got to pick up this class. What's going on academically? What's going on in the weight room? Hey, I saw you got sick last week. We don't get sick around here. Hmm. You know, it's fifty push-ups and an apple. You got to be there every day. That kind of thing, I think, can be really in your face. And so some of these position coaches are going to say, all right, I see how Lamb's operating. I'm going to be a little more cool. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to get these – I'm going to be the friend first, and then once I get their trust, I'm going to start pushing on them for body weights and health and good decisions on and off the field. Talk to us about the receiver group a little bit, Coach. I mean, we can go into as much as much detail as you want here, but um, you, you, you and I were kind of talking via text about the off-season turnaround, what you'd like to see from the receivers. Obviously, step one, let's get that position coach in here, get him rolling with these guys. Uh, but talk to us about how you view the receivers, because some coaches, as you said, you're talking about Mike Leach, you're talking about some, you talk about Fort Air Raid up in Fort Collins, how they view receivers how some how some teams that are just run i want a receiver that's, that can catch and can do some big things but i love it when a receiver's going 10 yards downfield just driving a guy too so talk to us about your receiver philosophy and kind of what you're hoping to see from this group throughout the offseason probably a almost exactly 12 months ago you know we'd been on the job for five six weeks and we started to recognize, okay, our, our receiver group is going to be challenged here at UNC. Um, we, I thought we had some some hardworking guys. And my philosophy as a head coach, if we're thinking it, you deserve to know it. Mm. And I talked to the players about that. I talked to the coaches about that. And so we communicated with the current receivers on the team, hey, we're going to go get some transfer receivers. And Micah Simon was our uh, receiver coach at that time. And um, he went out and, and got some receivers. And I think the recruiting pitch was, um, we need you. Our receiver room is a mess right now, and we need your talent. We need you to come in and, and uh, win for us. Well, that that became a bit of a disaster for our team last year. And um, the first thing I'll say is, you know, just take responsibility as a head coach. We did not find a way for our team to win games last year. Okay, um, we also didn't deal with the dynamics that changed in that situation. So now we've got a group of three or four, you know, kind of like mostly transfer receivers that came in. They were expecting to play. They were expecting to make a difference. We thought we had a, an NFL caliber arm in Jacob Sermon, and we just weren't able to put all the pieces together. You can have great receivers and a great arm and not get your blocking down. You can be, you know, you can face great defenses, right, and get shut down. And so we had some early season struggles. And and really some some blowout losses and the 
the morale of our team and especially that receiver group became so low and then they began to target each other. Um, and it was a, a really uh, poisonous environment in the receiver room. We call it the room, like where they meet. There's a lot of time just spent as position groups. And those guys were just not getting along in any way. Well, Was there contention like, you know, I want the ball versus you don't you oh, get the yeah. ball and just a, a bunch of other things? What, what else? Spill, spilling over, yeah. Personality spilling over, uh, you know, lack of, lack of leadership from the top down, from, from me to the position coach to the receivers themselves, um, other, other position groups on the field, um, you know, that, that resented that. And it just was it was it was tearing our team apart. Mm. It, it, it certainly wasn't the only problem, and that's why I just start with myself. Okay, I've got a long list of things, and maybe that's another episode, or we can go into it right now. We got, got a lot of. Them. I, I got a long <laughs> list of things that 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 me, I needed to do better, right? And so I'm certainly not pointing the finger and saying, "Hey, we just we just had a winless season because of this uh, receiver dynamic." But it was a major major problem for us to the point where we where we, where we said, "Okay." We need a lot of these guys to select themselves out of the program. We need to be especially hard here this this next season in the off season on everybody and decide who's in, who's out. And we need to provide empirical data because a lot of these guys think they're better than they are or they think they're better than their teammate, and I don't agree, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, they need a chance to prove that they're better, and we need to just get more data. So I'll just give you kind of a dynamic here. We talked about the 316s. Um, this uh, year that yeah. we've been working into on Saturdays, having to complete these really intense workouts with designed for 50% failure rate. So the first week that we did that, uh, a freshman, Braden Monroe, who actually was one of the bright spots last year in terms of just being about his business, he came out of that group that was really bickering and having a hard time together, a true freshman, and now all of a sudden he's starting, he delivered, wow. he played really well. And there were, quite honestly, some receivers saying – He's not as good as me. Why is he getting the targets? What's this all about? So uh, Braden was one of two receivers to, to finish the first workout. Okay, well, there's his chance to say, yeah, hey, the coaches put some trust in me. The coaches elevated me over all these you know, transfer guys that, that they thought were going to be the best. Um, you know, here, uh, here I am, and let me show you what that's about, right? And then um, the other guy was Reese Pratt's local guy, walk-on guy. Um, who we're really excited about, think he ha- he has a chance to earn some playing time and therefore a scholarship and, and just really excited. So those two guys were the only ones that finished. Reese was one of the fastest guys on the team at uh, two minutes and 15 seconds, so crushed it wow. by over a minute. And that's Reese, if you know him, right? He's like you know, 10, 500 meters, super strong, and uh, really have high hopes for, for what he can do. And then, and then we had you know some other guys that just struggled week after week after week. And then we get to the point where I think two of our more talented guys, uh, Jamari Robinson and Jordan Riles, just this last weekend, um, they had uh, well two weeks ago they they passed or on the on the fifth week we did it they passed the first um, misogi right and they they worked they both worked really hard to do it and just made decisions. You could just see the change in these guys through the off season. Buying into more of the of the team, uh, accepting the challenge to say, you know, we want them to say, "I'm the best. Give me the ball, right?" And Jamari, at, at times, we targeted him a ton last year because we felt like he did have a lot of dynamic ability, right? Um, and then, so all of a sudden, they 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 get to the point they're getting stronger, they're getting more fit, they're competing more. They pass that first Misogi, and now they go to the second one, and it was those two competing against each other in a heat. We do it in heats, and those two competed against each other. 
And um, Jordan Riles was one that really struggled on this the first few weeks. In fact, he got frustrated and kind of walked away from the workout. And it was a big, you know, it was a big moment where we had to sit him down. Said, What's going on, man? Like, this is not, you, you can't be on this team and, and walk away from a workout. And probably one of the most inspirational uh, things I've seen and one of the bigger comebacks of an offseason uh, in every way from a character standpoint was Jordan Riles against Jamari Robinson. Last week, the whole team is watching, and those two are competing to accomplish their 316. And Jordan Riles finished it in 316, and he did it after dropping the weight, Whoa. which I haven't seen very often. I've been doing this for years, and typically when you drop the weight, it's like, okay, there's a mental blockage there where you just say – this workout's hard enough. Now I have to power clean this thing again. I have to restart my count and uh, somehow pick myself self up after dropping the weight. And uh, he did it and he made it. And it was really competitive down to the very end. And, you know, the team split itself in half, not against the other guy, right? But you're, you're there, you're counting, you're encouraging, and, the, and two guys are side by side. And so the team was kind of split in half. Everybody crowded around, or half the guys crowded around Jordan, half the guys crowded around Jamari. And to see Jordan uh, dig deep and finish that in that moment was just tremendously encouraging for me, uh, looking at him and the whole receiver group together. Jamari didn't quit either. He, he gave it all he had. And this is such a huge step for these guys in this position group. Talk to us about, okay, after that, obviously it's emotional. I love this story so much. You're talking about Jordan Riles, so frustrated with it that he walks away and he's like, I, whatever, you know, I'm just, this is tough. This is ridiculous. And then he overcomes that, which is more difficult. I think that's my favorite thing about sports is everybody's going to fall. Everybody's going to fail. How do you get back up? What's that look like? What was the moment like? Were there tears? I mean, this is these are these are epic workouts. These are the games before the games. Yeah. This is when it starts here. So, what was the emotion factor like after that? Well, let me set the stage for emotion by you know I, I've told you we meet every Friday night, and so through these weeks early in the semester where we're struggling, I'm actually challenging guys to leave the program. Mm. I'm saying, okay, here here's the deal, fellas. Last year was about talent. And I, we didn't really know a lot of your character, and we didn't do a good job of getting to know a lot of your character. We didn't do a great job of testing your strength. Right now, we are testing your character. We're testing your strength every single day in the weight room, and especially on Saturdays with these competitions. Um, we are going to play the strongest, toughest guys. If you're sitting here right now listening to me saying, uh, just wait till you see me on the field, I'm about talent. I'm more talented than everybody else here, even if I'm not tougher and stronger. If you're saying that to yourself, it's time for you to go. The portal is your friend. And I'm saying that week after week after week. And I'm specifically talking to these guys who are failing every Saturday, right? So it's like such an in-your-face, intense moment in front of the team. You're being called out like, are you going to strengthen yourself and start living right? Not that, not that all the guys that were struggling are not living right. You know, I, I don't want to intimate that sure, there's some sure. major problems going on out there, but just, you know, taking the, the nutrition, the rest, getting the extra work in the weight room, because you have to catch up to these other guys that are passing. I mean, we're down to now, there's only eight guys that haven't passed that first Misogi, that first 316, right? Eight able-bodied guys on the whole team. So it's that in your face. And for, for Jordan, uh, you know, and, and Jamari to sit there week after week and take that and say, okay, I'm not getting in the portal, uh, I believe in, in this message enough, even though I'm failing it in front of the whole team, I believe in this message enough, and I believe in myself enough to flip it around, and then to finish like that. Mm. And he gave it his all. I mean, he, he literally collapsed. 
And, uh, you know, in, in these workouts, I know because I do them, the VO2 exchange through that esophagus makes you ble- – you taste blood and then you, that night – You've got a you've got a sore throat. It's not a, not a virus sore throat. It doesn't hang around for multiple days. But like your voice changes that night. Everyone that's done these workouts knows what I'm talking about. That <laughs> is that intense. Wow. Your your throat is bleeding, and you can taste it, and it changes your voice. And he had that that night, and even the next day. And it was so cool to see him, like be proud of it. Like oh, I'm I'm here, coach. It's like a badge yeah. of honor. The yeah. voice change at that point yeah. for even one night or whatever. But yeah. to know you've done it, and now you're there with everybody else. Yeah, and and you know I'm. I'm not bringing up specific names to embarrass anybody here, and, and you know I brought up uh, Jordan and, and, and Jamari several times in, in this talk. Like, like you know, it should be talking probably more about the Braidman Rose and and the, those guys that passed it right from the beginning. Reese Prass, you know, Jace Jace Villers, uh, th- those guys, uh, those guys came in strong and were ready to go, right? But for this team to be as good as it can be. We need everybody to buy into that, and that's what that's what we're forcing right now as a culture is for everybody to buy in. And so I'm just as proud as the guys that that have that have come the furthest, kind of the most improved, as I am the guys who are the, the strongest, fastest guys right now. And uh, just super happy with the with the turnaround in that room. I think it's a team oriented room right now. Uh, it's never a finished product. A football team is not, a position group is not, but I'm so proud of where our receivers are at right now. Well, and I think bringing those guys up, um, I I, I think those are the highest compliments, to be honest, Coach, when you talk about guys that did have to get over that hurdle. Those are the best sports stories. I mean, yeah, the guys that can do it quickly, those are great stories, too. I mean, Braden Monroe, we should actually, yeah, that's amazing. But sometimes it's those guys that maybe, do I, do I want this? Can I do this? Is this for me? I don't know. And then, boom, you bust through that gate. You bust through that wall. And I think that's a fascinating story, too. So I'm glad you went there through all of it. Eight guys left. Are you ahead of schedule? Are you where you'd, you thought you might be at this stage with guys passing the 316? You know, it's going back to, to me kind of challenging guys. Like, you, you, either, you either buy in. We are now... We are now a big football team. We're going to play big ball. Like that doesn't mean that we're always going to run it. You know, I, I think I told you, Coach Walter Scheid, He was my coordinator at offensive coordinator at SUU. We won. We won the conference once with the with one of the number one passing offenses in the country. You know, we had a quarterback drafted. We won a few years later, primarily running the football. Right, won the Big Sky running the football in 2015. It's it's not that we're saying uh, big ball means we're lining up in eye backs and just running the football. We may be. You know, we may be number one passing offense in the in the conference, but what we're saying is we're going to play the big, strong, tough guys at all positions. And if your thing is about the, uh, the talent, you better also be tough and strong because we're playing the tough, strong guys, and these workouts are designed to expose that. So my hope is that everybody passes, to, to be honest, to answer your yeah. question, right? But the other hope I had is that guys would say, uh, no, I want to go someplace where they're going to feature my talents. And they would jump in the portal and get out. And we had that really early in the semester, but it's just it's just completely gone silent at this point. I believe everybody's buying in, even those eight guys that haven't passed. Like, they're living and dying with those moments on Saturday. They're preparing in, in, in um, the ways that we'd want them to prepare. They're worried about it. They're anxious about it. They're excited about Saturdays. 
And so from that standpoint, I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing. Uh, I love that, too. And again, here it is. As we record this, it's February 27th, a very cold day out there. Uh, but we're, we're documenting these these stories throughout the week. Um, you're going to give us some specifics. Maybe we'll get into bigger picture stuff, as we've talked about, college, the college world, whatever. But being able to dive into workouts a little bit and get specific on a guy achieving something, a Jordan Riles getting over that that mountain, so to speak. Those are the stories. This is why I love doing this podcast so much because we can get into some of those stories. Um, talk to us about some other things going on, Coach. We we, we discussed uh, how how coaches are coming to you talking about players, if they're needing something, what that looks like. They're going to coordinators. But you have a thing you do, and I want to get specifics on this. Dinner at your house with the, a position group – Throughout, I mean, what what time period are we talking about? Because I want to get some specifics on this. Yeah, we've we've just been, uh, you know, it's really my wife Sarah is always uh, pushing on these things. Um, she she knows uh, my personality can be just really business oriented and, and rigid when I'm in when I'm in those environments. Kind of like I was explaining to you a few minutes ago. And so she's always she uh, she does a great job with the other coaches' wives. She really enjoys being a head football coach's wife, especially in a community like this size, right? Because there's just more. Uh, awareness of um, how much we need everybody to support us. Not necessarily, it's not always donations, right? But it's just, we need people to care about college football in Greeley, in this community. And so uh, she, that's something that she takes very serious. So she's always telling me, we've got to have the players over, got to have the players over. I'm like, hey, you know, the, the players are busy. They don't always want to come over. And, you know, we have our special needs son at home. And, you know, there can be horrifying moments. Mm. And to be very honest, just, you know, a year ago, I didn't feel great about having a bunch of guys over that I didn't know and and that they didn't know me and they didn't know the challenges that we face in our home. And um, that just flipped now. I just I, I know these guys. We've been through hard times and it's made us closer. I know everybody on this team now and even even the new players, instead of trying to get to know, to know 100 new guys at the same time. You know, when January started and we had like 10 new faces, it's just those 10. And I'm reaching out to them and I'm trying to find them in the dining hall. I'm trying to find them in the facility and have a, have a moment where I'm getting to know them. Now I know so many more parents. And so, you know, I feel comfortable now. And, and so now we're having these position groups over. And it's just, it's just once. It's not like a terribly magnanimous gesture. It takes like 15 weeks, you know, by the time we have each position group over and, and get to know them. But my wife, Sarah, she's enjoying cooking the food, uh, you know, my, my, my daughters get involved and they're they're helping out as well and serving and, and just getting to know these guys in a different setting and have them hang out and, and play ping pong and just talk is just it's, it's been it's been amazing so far. How many guys? I mean, again, I know the number of players, yeah. but you know, on average, how many guys are at this dinner? We try to keep it like somewhere between ten and fifteen. Sometimes okay. you com- combine position groups. Maybe the specialists and quarterbacks will come together, but the O line, you know, has got sixteen, seventeen guys by Probably itself. Need yeah. like thirteen meals, yeah. you know, for one night for <laughs> yeah. those guys. Exactly. Yeah, and they and they the, the O line is really close, which is an amazing kind of development that we've had. They showed up on the doorstep together. They decided we're going to carpool because I live you know, about fifteen minutes drive away. It's in Greeley, but Greeley's big, as yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the geography of Greeley is a big place, and I'm so over, I'm over on the west side of town. They all showed up together. I think when we have the rec- we're having the receivers here uh, th- this uh, week, I think they'll probably all come separate is the way I think just receiver groups sometimes work. They'll that straggle makes sense. in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're that, just, like yeah. I was saying, they're a little more individualized, and, and you, you want that O-line to be like, hey, we, you know, 
we're showing up 16 strong yep. when we ring the doorbell. You want that. And, and I guess it wouldn't be a bad thing if the receivers showed up that way. But I also expect they're just more independent-minded, and uh, there's a lot of uh, healthy, competitive nature within that receiver group. Is there more—how does your wife feel about it? You know, she's got the dinner, you got your daughters involved, everybody's working. But when you see those offensive lines show up at once, you, in the back of her head, she's got to be like, did I make enough? Did I, is that going to be okay here? What do we do? Yeah, she. I mean, she knows, and um, she, we've been doing that that part long enough. Like, she's going to have too much food, and and she wants to send the guys home with food. So, uh, but the but the cool thing was is you know the guys came in. We don't we don't necessarily have a shoe rule in our house. So it was right when I opened the door, like, hey, you guys do what's comfortable for you. You want to wear your shoes? Come on in, right? And. Uh, and but a bunch of the guys started taking off their shoes, and so we've got these like some of our guys like size sixteen, seventeen shoes, and now and now I see my sixteen year old daughter over there, and she's she's six foot one, almost six foot two now. So wow. she's yeah, she's wow, she's pretty tall, but she's looking at these shoes, going, oh my gosh! And then one of her friends was over, who's you know just a, a regular size human being, <laughs> and they were they were putting their whole shoe inside of the shoes of some of our it's players. Like skis at yeah. that point. So it's just it's just really cool to see those unscripted interactions with when the guys come over and uh you know whatever whatever the subject might be whatever wherever it leads us we're just getting to know each other and they're seeing they're seeing my son move around and and the challenges that 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 you know we have as a family with him and uh and and the fun too right because my son brings a lot of really cool and unique experiences to our life and they get to see some of that firsthand i think that is so special it's so honest too for you to talk about this that aspect of it because I feel the same way with my with my kiddo. People want to come over. You, we want to bring all these kids over or whatever. But then when they come in and they see what you you know what your daily life is like too, there is a newfound respect and and that I think your players they obviously respect you as a football coach. They respect you as a man, but there's also probably this new respect of. How does this guy do everything that he's doing? Um, and then they see, well, it's because he's got a great family. They're all tight-knit. They do everything for each other. So I think that, that that story is so cool how you talk about not necessarily being comfortable with it last year, which makes sense. You're new to the job, trying to figure out so many things, and now you're getting to that point where I'm inviting these guys in because you know, I'm, maybe it's outside of my comfort level for a moment, but now it's just it's part of the family. It's part of the thing. You know, yeah, you'll understand this. Parents of special needs, and there's there's spectrums of challenges, different challenges, and we've learned that in being in that community. But um, there are some things that I can honestly say: if if I would have been 18 and somebody would have told me some of the daily realities that I live with, I, I would have been horrified. Mm. And I think uh, there are times when I don't know a player as well, I'm I'm hesitant to invite them into that circle. You know, of the things that that I uh, have to deal with. And then, um, you know, as soon as I get to know anybody, but but our, you know, we're talking about our players in this context. Um, I'm almost hoping that we have one of those challenging moments while they're there. You know, for them to see me uh, as a father, like, okay, yeah, my my son's 14 years old now, and we still change his diapers. You know, that's a that's a challenge that we live with. I I, I shouldn't be ashamed of that, yeah. right? Yeah. But there are times when I'm just hesitant to to let people into that because I don't know how they'll react. And then you know, like. I think it's just human nature. Once once I know somebody, um, you know, then it's different. Then I then I want to share with them because we're all going through something, right? And this is something that I have that's visible. Once you come around my my house, you can see these challenges that that my whole family faces. 
And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to share those because, you, you know, you might be going through something different. You might not have a special needs child or you might with just completely different challenges, but you've got things going on in your life. We all have something. There is suffering in life, right? And so um, let me share with you some of what I'm doing and maybe I can provide some strength for you by you seeing me in that role. Well, and maybe they have a family member or they will have a family member that might have some different challenges or they know somebody. And that's why I love this so much and I love your story. Um, and again, I told you, it's one of those first things I, saw, I, I learned about you just from the videos that were put together, some of the, some of the items uh, about you as a, as a coach and a, and a person. So that's why I like this for so many reasons. Obviously, you're, you're bonding, you're, you're team bonding, you're building, and it's a fun thing to do. It's a good thing to do. But that's also a, hey, Coach Lamb, this is what, this is what kind of guy he is too. This, these are the sacrifices that he and his family make all the time. Maybe they don't catch – maybe it doesn't hit their brain – tomorrow or next week or next month, but maybe in five years, 10 years, they think about you in that moment. And then they, maybe they're, they're reaching out to you to call on you about that. Uh, And hopefully it's a lot sooner than that, just about anything in life. But I think that those things are just so important, especially when you're a college coach. I I hope it is. Um, About 10 years ago, my high school soccer coach, I was, I was not really a football player in high school. I didn't start playing until my sophomore year and I got hurt that year. Football was really late in in my kind of sports career. It was all about soccer. And so my, my high school soccer coach was also my, my club coach, one of my club coaches and had a close relationship with him. He reached out to me on um, uh, Facebook through my wife. I didn't have a, a Facebook, but he reached out about 10 years ago and said, hey, I was reading something. I understand you've got a child with autism. And this is when our, our Edward was really young. So I, di- I didn't know a lot of the challenges I was going to face. But he said something to me. He's always been very self-deprecating. Lee Munson is his name, Coach Munson. And uh, he's always been very self-deprecating. And so, and he said to me, hey, I've, I've got one of these kids too. It's important for you. I was the head football coach at Southern Utah at the time. He said, it's important for you to be out in the public with that story mm. because um, guys like – what he said is – Guys like me, he was talking about himself, guys like me that are losers in life, we need to see that successful people like you have these same challenges. And he, like I said, it's totally self-deprecating uh, on, on his part to say it that way. I mean, he's one of my, my mentors. I, I look up to him so much, the way he coached me and, and who he is and all that stuff. Um, but it, but it, it made a point to me, when you're in the special needs community, you do see parents um, struggle uh, divorce rate is higher. You see parents walk away from from those challenges. You see a lot of uh, autistic kids, in particular, um, in child neglect situations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe maybe somebody who is in the public eye, you know, uh, not not that a college football coach is some kind of a list celebrity, but there there are people who may overhear, may read about something, may see something on the internet. And and if I can say that, yeah yeah we have these challenges and they may have been horrifying to me had I known about them before we had our son but now it's our reality and I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it like this is our this is our experience this is our day to day experience we love our son and we love the uh, the challenges and the breakthroughs and um, there are some real um, unique um, advantages to having a child with special needs and and we're in for it we're here for that. Yeah, I I uh, was just talking to my wife the other day about this. You know, sometimes you you stare up at the mountain of where you you know, what you got to get over, or maybe you won't get over it. Whatever, it's sometimes it's difficult to look at those everyday victories and things of that nature. Yes, and and I think you know when you think of a head coach, it's just human nature. You think of a head football coach, you you tend to think 
tough, invincible, you know, whether they're successful or not. They these are tough dudes. Um not say obviously you're 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 even more than that when you look at your situation and, and similar situations. And I do think that that's why people look can need to look at that and, and your your story is so important. Because a lot of times you'll look at, oh, UNC football coach Ed Lamb. That guy's probably all football all the time, you know, rough and tough. And you are those things, but you've got this other, this other massive part too. And people look at it and say, wow, those are things that he's dealing with while doing this. I can, I can do these things too. I can achieve whatever that goal is in my life. So I, I do think that you have a really unique platform and it is important. To be able to talk about it, whether it's here, whether it's videos, whether it's out there, whether it's to your team on a daily basis. Oh, I, I appreciate that. And I know you, you've you got your own um, challenges that way. You talk about looking up at the, the mountain. Um, one of the things I've found is that the there's, there's clouds in front of the mountain. We don't even we can't even see the mountain. Yeah, you know, absolutely. We, we don't know uh, what, what the future even looks like for us. You know, what is what does the future look like? Um. And so there, there is that connection, and I appreciate your interest in it. I think it was one of the things that we first talked about when we were just kind of kicking around a, an idea about doing a show or a, a podcast together. It's like, well, can we can we go into that those special needs challenges? What's going on with that? And, I, and I'm glad it's part of the program. Well, and and, I, and again, this is part of what you guys are doing that is putting a light on on a lot of these families and a lot of these kiddos is with your No Limits camp, too, which is, you know, we're moving quickly. It's right around the corner. And I think that is such a special thing. You talked to us a little bit about that last week. But where are we at as far as like maybe weekly updates leading up to it? What's uh, where are we at at this point? We're still in the early planning stages in terms of like some of the details of, of how it's going to look this summer, even the date. I think we're going to select the date here um, uh, next Monday, okay. uh, zero in on that. And then, of course, we've got to work with the university and make sure that that, uh, that that date's appropriate for them and we can have the facilities, the resources that we need on that day. Um, but I'm also – I've also expanded um, the, the no limits um, – just really organically at, at my house to the equestrian side. Um, and we've had uh, – I don't want to mention names. As you, as you know, in the special needs community, it's sure. a, you're really protective of, of those kids and, and their parents and their family situation. But we had uh, – you know, we had, we had three, um, uh, we, you know, special needs kids uh, this, this past weekend come to ride. And our players have been, you know, getting cued into there's this opportunity to come and work with them. And that's just to, to see the adaptations that we might need to get one of these kids up on a horse or to just get them around a horse and then to see the happiness and the, the feeling of self, self-satisfaction that they have. It's just been such a cool thing for me. And it feels like, you know, the, the phrase you hear of like giving back, I never really saw myself as like, oh, I'm going to be a person that's giving back, right? I just I feel like I'm always just struggling to get my own life in order. But we started into the horse riding journey because somebody else had the horses and suggested to me that my son might benefit from it. And I'm so grateful to hit, to that person. That's uh, Lane Batty was the, the cowboy we got started with. And um, and to be able to be that guy now where people are showing up at my house and like, hey, here's my kid. Like, what do you think? Can we get them up there on this horse? And then to see the happiness and the breakthrough and I want to come back next week and all the different challenges. And, and to be the, like this this past weekend, we had a – and we had to figure out how to how to kind of strap the the boy into the onto the horse and mm-hmm. make sure that he would stay on and, and, it would, and that it would be safe. And so we're brainstorming that, and I can remember doing that with my son and with Lane, and uh, just really a, a cool moment for me to see you know somebody else, another parent's life 
affected positively by what we're able to provide. Well, and I know we're going to take you up on that too at some point, Coach. When you and I first met, you would mention, "Hey, let's get you, let's yeah. get your kiddo out there." We started doing the horse thing. Um, I don't know a year ago. And, you know, with my kiddo, he does a lot of things quickly, and then sometimes things take a little time for him. And a horse, I told my wife, I, I, and I feel like an idiot because I looked at my wife and said, oh, it's going to take a while. I can't imagine he's going to want to get on this massive beast. He, he doesn't like when a cat runs up to him because he's just kind of like, it's unpredictable. Get that, that thing away from me. First day. He goes out there and he's on the horse and he just loved it. Like he's he's wanting to lay down on the horse. He's so relaxed. My wife's sending me videos. I'm like, who is that child? It's amazing the power that that has, and that you're able to share that with a lot of people too. It's 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 truly it's truly something special, Coach. It's amazing to me. Horses are special animals, mm. and um, and all the different ways that we can interact with them. I've got I've got a couple of buddies in Idaho who have. Uh, cattle ranches on on like you know 20,000 acres BLM land like the hardest kind of riding you can do and I'll get out there with the horses and we're chasing cows for 3 days straight and that's that's an amazing type of riding that I really enjoy but just just walking a, a special needs kid around the property is just a completely different horse and that's that's what's amazing to me is what these animals are are capable of I mean they can they can jump you off a ledge uh, and, and and land straight. They can climb you up onto a ledge, and um, and yet in the next moment, I think they sense when these uh, special needs kids who have no guile and they're a little bit apprehensive and they're scared. I think they sense that, and the horses become more still, more calm. There's a different look in their eyes, and when they get these kids on their back, and, and I've got some good, well trained horses, um, and 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 I know that that's part of it, and so I've got to give them credit for for the horses that they are. I don't, I don't know if every horse is safe for every kid to be around, but um, to see these kids gain that confidence in, in, you know, telling a thousand pound animal what to do is just an amazing feeling to me. And it's, it's something I enjoy just as much, if not more than just being out with my buddies and riding hard. Well, there's not a lot of animals either that you can say, okay, we trained them and they might be okay for a moment, but horses in particular, I, I, I'm a farm kid. Um, so when you break them, when you train them, how you want to train them, they stay there. That's who they are. You get other you know, wild animals in, they might be awesome for a while, but something's going to click at some point and they're back to where they were. Even dogs can be difficult at times. You're right, though. Horses are truly unique. Coach, I know we got to get you out of here pretty quickly. Did we miss anything? I know we went through a bunch of awesome, awesome topics today, but what did we miss? I feel like we've got a pretty good handle on what we're what we're working through right now, and that's one of the things I enjoy about the the format of this is that you know I think uh, things move quickly in football from from week to week, month to month, but also you know it kind of transitions slowly enough. We can come back to some of the, some of these other topics and what we're working through as a team. I just enjoy the chance to talk through them with you. Well, today we we went into some details on receivers, so I love that. That's the football side that that's easier for my brain because I'm the guy. I'm like one of your typical fans. That's like you know who are the studs and when do we get to see them? But you get to break into those details with us, which I think is teaching us so much. But also talking about life along the way, and I think that that's what's going to continue to be special about football fifty two episode four. Got that down, coach. Next week will be. Just a math problem there. Uh, it'll be episode five. Yeah, hey, so, we're getting there. It's going yeah. quick. <laughs> I love it, Coach. Um, all right, we'll uh, we'll look to do this again next Tuesday. Looking forward to it as always. We'll see what the weather holds. It could be sixty. It could be twenty-five out there. 
we'll see. But always appreciate you, Coach. Yeah, thank you. So appreciate your time and efforts, Brady. All right, it's been Episode 4 of Football 52. Uh, Make sure you find it. We're putting this through the whole show channels for the time being. Uh, Amazon, Spotify, 1310kfk.com. That's where you can find this podcast, and we'll get you another one out next week. It's been Football 52 with UNC head football coach Ed Lamb and me, Brady Hove. We'll talk to you next week.